came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell to you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going on a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh below... Um, uh, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil, well, uh, evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this time we have together, and I pray that we'll open our hearts to you, and we'll learn more about Jonah tonight and his journey. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, we're looking at Jonah's dispatch. And so, Hunter did a great job reading the story, and I just kind of want to get us where we are right now, because I believe in review, especially when you're going through something like this. So, we get introduced to Jonah, who he is. He's a prophet of the Lord. And Jonah's called to do something. He's called to go speak to a group called... uh, to the city of what? Nineveh. But instead, he refuses that city and he goes towards another uh, city called what? Tarshish. So we see him going through this and he's on a boat. He's heading towards Tarshish and a storm happens. And in the storms, the pagan, that means the people who did not believe in God, figured out something's going on and they're tossing everything overboard and finally, Jonah's tossed overboard, and the storm just stopped. And as soon as he's about to hit the water, he thinks his life is over. He thinks that's going to be it. And he wakes up, and he's inside a fish. That's where we were last week, and we talked about the prayer. And we, we talked about that he believed that God was who he was, but still not having this change of attitude. The whale, uh, the, I mean the fish, not whale, sorry. The fish vomited him up on dry land. And now we see that God says, go back to where? Nineveh. And he does. And we see how the people respond. And that's where we're going to be at tonight. So let's kind of look at this. Jonah chapter 3 follows a pattern or, uh, uh, that we see of repentance found in the Old Testament, a uh, corporate of repentance of me, repentance of the cities, repentance of areas or provinces or governments. And here are the three ways. First, the message of uh, divine judgment. Usually what you see is a divine judgment. Uh, other great examples can be found of this uh, method is in 1 Samuel 7, 7, 3 through 13. 
Joel chapter 1 through chapter 2, or Joel 1 through 2. So we see this message of divine judgment. In other words, there's a, a, a message that comes out from God that says, hey, you're messing up. Hey, there's something wrong. Hey, you need to turn back. Hey, stop. That's the divine uh, message. And then, number two, the account of human repenting. And usually during that message, they begin to repent. We see that the people of Nineveh begin to do what? Tear their clothes, wear, you know, um, put ash over them. All that stuff is a sign of repentance. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But the, usually the people repent it. We see this pattern coming through. And third, a, re, a record of divine relenting. In other words, God forgives them and does not do the judgment upon them. Now, some people say that God's changing his mind. We have to be very cautious of that because Jonah left out a condition in his message that we see that he has given to others. But because of Jonah's heart towards the Ninevites, he didn't give this condition. And we're going to talk about that condition later on in the, in the message here. But because he didn't get that condition, a lot of times people use Jonah as an example of God changing his mind. And uh, really, God does usually give a condition of what happens when you do repent. We all were given that condition. We'll talk about that here in a second. So here's the pattern, the message of the divine, account of human repenting, and a record of divine relenting. So with that, let's kind of see what was this about. So first of all, let's look at the prophet's message. As Drew and I talked about, um, it's not a very long message. It is not like some of the prophets where they begin and 60 chapters later they finish. Um, with Jonah, it is hello and goodbye, all right there. So, so let's talk about the prophet's message. Jonah went to Nineveh instead of fleeing to Tarshish. He, compi- he, he complies with God's will. He complies. I like that word, complies. That means I'm going to do it. It's kind of like this. My boys have chores, and I tell them to go do it, and... This is what I mean by comply. Yeah, I'm going to take the trash out. I'm doing it, but I don't really like to do it. Okay, Jonah's doing this, but he's not really wanting to. But whether this compliance is from the heart remains to be unseen. And we see in chapter 4, we really see where his heart is. I don't want to jump ahead too much. but uh, So here we are. He gives, begins to give this message. And here's the message. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the message. So what does that mean? Well, first, he uses this word overthrown. This is the same verb used by God for the destruction of Solomon, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, 21, 25, and 29. That's Genesis chapter 19, 21, comma, 25, 29. Although the threat sounds unconditional, a condition was implied. 
See, this condition is usually set by the other prophets, but for some reason, Jonah doesn't mention it. Remember last week I told you he had an us and them mentality. And that can really plague the churches. That can plague us as Christians. We have to be very careful not to put an us versus them mentality towards things. And so although he knew what it was, he didn't come across. See, if the people repented, God will relent. We see that in Jeremiah 18, 7 through 8. He talks about that. We see, we, we, we know that Jonah knows this condition because he mentions it in Jonah 4, 2. I knew this was going to happen. See, he hated the people so much, he did not want them to repent. But we also see that the king of Nineveh He's going to hope to see this happen. He didn't know, that, you know, but he, his hope was, well, maybe if we do this, who knows what can happen? Who knows what God will do? We see this in 3.9. He hopes. Look, what, look what he says. Who knows? God may turn, relent, turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. He says we got to do some heart checking. But this is the prophet's message. He says, look, you're going to be overthrown like Solomon and Gomorrah. It's the same use of word. We know that Solomon and Gomorrah was burned into uh, to ashes. Um, we, we, you know, it's used multiple times in the Old Testament and New Testament as destruction cities. And we see here, when they hear this word, they knew what it meant. They knew that they were going to perish. They knew that there was a time limit. But in the prophet's message, he forgets the condition. See, that condition is for you too. If we repent, if we repent. See, here's the deal. We are all born what? Sinners. Everyone in this room, including myself, including Drew, are not good enough. You're not good enough for God. And you're going to miss the mark. But God gives us condition. He says, I'm going to send my son. And he's going to die in Kent's place, in Drew's place, and fill in the name. And because of who my son is, and if you believe in him, and you turn from your wicked ways, and you depend upon him in that belief of who he is, you shall be saved. That condition is still in the message today. And it is very important as when we preach the gospel that people hear, yes, they need to hear the wrath of God. Yes, they need to hear the love of God. And yes, they need to understand if we repent, God has relented he has called us children of him of him when we become followers believers in jesus christ here's my issue sometimes real quick on that message i see sometimes churches going too far either way i see churches sometimes going never mentioning the condition 
in the sense of we're not going to mention the condition because you know what? God's just going to love everybody, and at the end, he's just going to allow everyone into heaven. That is a false doctrine straight from hell. Let me say that again because it is rampant in your, in your lifetime. Any teacher claiming to be of God tells you at the end, God's just going to let everybody in, is lying to you. It's a lie. The Bible's very clear that there will be people who are going to false teach things like this. So you need to understand that what God says, though, is if you believe in my son, and Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the light, and no one can come to the Father except through me. There's only one way to the Father, so he says, you know, that's through Jesus. That's that condition. The other extreme is that people just teach the wrath side of God and never teach the love side of God. And I see churches doing both. Well, we need to show the love and the wrath, and both of them need to be shown. The message. So the next part of this, verses 5 through 10, the people's response. I think this is very interesting because these people are not believers. These are pagans. And again, pagans are people who are not Jewish and they did not believe in God. And several things begin to happen. First, in the people's response, they believed. They believed. Believed is the first word in the Hebrew text of the sentence. And the grammar underscores the intimacy of the Nineveh's repentance. And I love that. Because when you read it, how it says in Hebrew, it goes, believe. They believe. It's one word. In our English, it would say they believe. But in Hebrew, it's that one word. And it means they believe. It means an immediate, immediate reaction. So in our English today, it would be all caps underlined. They believed. Immediate. Something happened. It, they didn't need to be convinced. They didn't need to get uh, pulled this way. They believed. And then, not only did they believe in something, the most important thing is not just believing, it's believing and the reaction to it. They reacted to it. Because once they believed it, they reacted to it. What do they begin to do? They begin fasting and wearing sackcloth. Now, just for you who does not understand fashion, the sackcloth would have been like burlap. And it would have been very itchy and very uncomfortable. And it was a sign of humility and humbleness. It was a sign that, hey, you are in mourning. And both of these were ancient demonstrations of mourning. And you see this in, in Nehemiah 9.1, Esther 4.3, Daniel 9.3. Look this up. Ken, why do you always put so much scripture? I want you to see it ain't me. It's not just what I'm saying. This is what's happening. So you see that the people believe. You see an immediate reaction. And then 
you see something else how the people respond. The king responds. Now let's talk about who this king is. This is not the king of the uh, um, the Adrian area. It was probably he was probably more like what we would call a province king or a local government king. Okay, and his city was probably Nineveh. Um, which he probably did a few things outside that providence, but his main providence. So I'll give you an example. King Herod was a a providence king. Okay? He was a providence king. So he was in that area, and he was the king, but he was given that kingship or that power by someone else. And and, 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 in Herod's case, um, 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 uh, Caesar the Antipas, he he was given that. So anyway, I mean Tiberius inherited Antipas, who was King Herod. Sorry, I, I get things confused. Um, so let's talk about the king's response. There, what does he say? He says, "What? Who knows? Look at this. Who knows what will happen?" It expresses what? Hope. We see in 2 Samuel 12, 22, this expression of hope. That God may turn and relent the exact hope, the exact hope of the prophet Joel for the people of Judah had. Joel 2, 14. This is the, this is the same wording that Joel had that the people would turn away the king has there's hope for my people and the king is more hopeful for the people than the prophet that God sent lastly in his little speech the king's speech we may not perish and he says my hope is that we may not perish this is this is now the third time a pagan, that means a non-believing person in this book of Jonah, has been concerned for the people not to perish. We see that in Jonah 1.14. We see that in Jonah 1.6. Uh, we see that here now in Jonah 3.9. And the reason that this is so needs to be pointed out that these people were more concerned for other people not to perish, but ironically, what? Jonah has not expressed such concern. We will not see Jonah express any mourning or concern for something dying until a plant that we'll see about in the next chapter dies. And he loved a plant more than he loved the people. What is going on? Why, why all this? So here, here are a few things that just kind of taken away for tonight. A couple of things, guys, is that Jonah was dispatched. He, 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 he finally went. But the attitude in which he went was still not healthy. And in his message, he gave a message, but he didn't tell the whole condition. And as we show the message of Christ, we need to show, tell everybody everything going on. Um, what is the gospel and how the gospel applies 
And then the people's response, and I, and I love this, we can learn a lot from the people's response. It was immediate. They mourned over their sins. They reacted. And they cared about the people around them, what would happen. Do you care about your friends? Don't answer that. If we care about our friends and we care about our friends' spiritual being, we're going to invest in them and disciple them. And I want to encourage you in that. Tell your friends about Jesus. Invite them to church, yes, but tell them about Jesus and live it out. we got to quit being masked Christians. In other words, we're going to be around our friends. We're going to be around one way at school and one way here. There's another word in the Bible um, um, that's used that term, and that begins with an H, and that's being a what? Hypocrite. We need to show them that Christians struggle. We need to show them that Christians don't have it all right. But they also, most importantly, know that they need to see Christians who are loving, repentive. They need to see that. And also, a lot of them are waiting for you to care for them and love them. And some of them are waiting for you to invite. Taylor mentioned a young lady. We don't know what happened exactly at McNeese with this. And I'm not claiming this or that because they don't even know. But the point is, also this week I went to a funeral of someone who did commit suicide this week. We have to talk to each other. We have to express love. And part of that, guys, is being available and knowing that God loves you. And, and guys, part of that is y'all need to be encouraging each other and not putting each other down and knowing that if someone's a true friend, someone who's just a human being, they need to hear the gospel. And I, and I, and it, because think about this, this man who knew the truth and knew the word and knew the difference did not had the hard-heartedness of not to share. What is your response tonight? Will you be like the people's response? Will you be like the prophet's message? How, how are you going to respond tonight? We're going to pray. We're going to be in the back. But guys, tonight's not over. And some of you guys, it's time to step up. Some of you guys need to form good habits in the Word of God. Some of you need to step up and need to realize that you're playing games. You're playing games with God. And He knows the truth and you know the truth. And the only people who can know that is you and Him. And some of you better stop the games. Because guys, as you get older, as you get in high school, the games are going to stop. And we're going to begin to see who the real followers and who are not. You need to know where you are in Christ. And some of y'all have been very convicted by the Holy Spirit. And you need to wise up and you need to understand what's going on and talk to an adult tonight. We need to, sometimes y'all are talking to each other, but the problem is y'all don't even know what's going on with that. That's why I'm here. That is why Drew is here. That is why you have invested adults in this room. We want and encourage you to listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. So I'm in the back, Drew's in the back, and, we're, and I know that God is speaking to 
three or four of you right now, because I feel it. We're back there, and we would love to talk to you. Some of you, you're tired, and the only way you're going to get relief is to turn it over to Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Father, we